Hello, parents, educators, students, and friends. Welcome to episode three of Towards Literacy. I am your host, Antonisha Dunn, and today we have a special guest who's an expert in the fascinating world of phonology and speech sounds as they occur in any language. But our focus for today is English, of course. She's a lecturer at the University of the West Indies, Mona, where she not only teaches courses in phonology and phonetics, but also various other linguistic-related courses. Her expertise in phonology makes her a phonologist. Interesting, I know. A term she'll explain shortly. Before we dive into our discussion on phonics, however, I must mention that she is, without a doubt, my absolute favorite lecturer at UE. For those of you considering undergraduate or postgraduate studies at UE, I highly recommend taking phonology courses with her. I'd never steer you wrong, I promise. <laughs> Anyways, without further ado, I'm thrilled to welcome Mrs. Wilkins Miller. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your insights with my listeners and me. Welcome. Thank you so much, Antonisha. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. And um, also thank you for the plug for our program at the University of the West Indies. <laughs> okay. I'm all smiles for this interview, it seems. So we're just going to get into it. Um, To begin, can you tell my listeners who a phonologist is? All right. A phonologist is a linguist who studies phonology. And phonology is the study of the sound systems of languages, as you mentioned earlier. So uh, this involves uh, the speech sounds that are part of languages under study. So you know that there are some sounds, some speech sounds uh, that are used in other languages that we don't use in English. So a phonologist will study the differences uh, in those systems. And phonologists also uh, study the rules that specify how sounds interact with each other. For example, which sounds can occur at the beginning or at the end of words in a language, or how many consonants can occur at the beginning and the end of syllables and so on. So these are language-specific. So that's essentially what a phonologist uh, does. Okay, it sounds interesting to me, at least, because I love phonology. I hope it it intrigues the listeners as well. In your opinion, does phonology help with reading? If you say yes, can you say how? If you say no, can you say why you said no? All right. Well, yes, uh, phonology or a knowledge of phonology uh, can help. And I think it's essential to the teaching of reading. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Learning to read. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, a knowledge of phonology better aids teachers, those who teach uh, children to read, um, to guide students into understanding that the words they use can be broken down into individual sounds. And in an alphabetic system like the ones, the one that we have, letters represent sounds. So since several words in English can be decoded based on how they're spelled because there's a, a letter sound correspondence, uh, then learning that correspondence makes the process of reading 
much easier. And according to the literature, um, phonological awareness is an indicator of reading success. So you don't have to memorize every word. Uh, there are some words that you will have to memorize, but uh, for the most part, uh, learning the letter sound correspondences is more efficient. Yes, it is. It is listeners, a lot more efficient. Um, in the States, there is a reading debate that has spanned decades. On one side of the divide, you have the proponents of the science of reading. And on the other side, you have those who believe in queuing. Now, queuing is a commonly used strategy in early reading instruction. It allows teachers to prompt students to draw on multiple sources of information to identify words. It's based on the now disproven theory that reading is a series of strategic guesses, I shake my head, informed by context clues. Um, can you say how phonology, when compared to what I just explained, is a better strategy for identifying words? Uh, well, it's it's difficult to say what is better when I'm not quite sure how cueing um, ever became a method to teach children how to read. Huh. But I'll say I'll say this about uh, phonology and phonological awareness. Uh, writing is intended to represent speech. So the written word is supposed to be a representation of the spoken word. And as I mentioned before, in an alphabetic system, we have letters that correspond to sounds or the sequencing of sounds in a word. Uh, so uh, this is why I think the phonological approach is preferable to cueing, uh, because I'm not quite sure how a child learns to read without decoding it in most instances. And of course we have sight words, uh, but for the most part, for a child to become an independent reader, uh, that child will need to be able to decode using the letter sound correspondences. And eventually uh, moving beyond that, the child can learn to use context clues to better understand uh, what it is that is being read. So we have first decoding and then we have reading comprehension that comes out of that. But I don't think you can put uh, reading comprehension or context clues before decoding. Hmm. Uh, so it, the phonological approach is not a perfect system, yeah. uh, but, but it works. It works. Yeah, we'll, we'll speak about the shortcomings later. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I know that in your in your head, you have a number of meanings for the word word. Um, you have a morphological meaning, I'm sure. But can you share the meaning that relates to your discipline? How do phonologists define words? <laughs> uh, phonologists define words differently from uh, what you would think. Uh, for a phonologist, uh, the, a word is a sound unit. It's a unit of speech. And mm -hmm. it's, especially for English, it has one main stress, full stop. Uh, but as someone who introduces students to linguistics, 
and and who has to teach uh, linguistics, the definition I work with is um, that a word is a unit of speech. Uh, it usually, for English, has one main stress, and it expresses meaning, and it also has parts of speech specification. So we can tell whether it's a noun, a verb, an adjective, and so on. And we'll know how it will function in a sentence. So it's also a, a an atomic unit in a sentence. So uh, that, that is the definition I work with. But it's generally understood that word is is difficult to define for everyone who studies linguistics and people will have uh, certain leanings. So a syntactician will define it differently. That's someone who studies sentence structure. A phonologist will define it a little bit differently uh, and so on. Uh, so the definition I gave you is is broadly the one that I, I work with. Okay. Thank you. Um, you are aware that I tutor reading. And one of the things I try to do early is change the definition my students have for the word word. I find that many are perplexed that I ask them, how do you understand or what meaning do you assign to the word word? And having heard theirs, I try to replace it because it's often not the meaning I need for our sessions. And for my classes, a word is defined as a group of sounds that are working together to represent something of meaning. Um, aspects of your definition um, coincide with aspects of mine, but do you have any specific thoughts about that particular definition? Um, no, I think it works. It works well. Uh, and sometimes what a linguist needs in a definition is not necessarily what non-linguists need in a definition. So I think the definition that you use uh, is is actually a very good one. Um, but I have a question for you. Oh, uh, after <laughs> after defining it mm -hmm. as a group of songs that work together, mm -hmm. uh, do you ever get questions about the written form? So if it's if it's a group of sounds, then how come we have letters on a page and you say that this is a word? Okay, so I don't I've never gotten that type of question from my students, but I have provided an answer for it. And I recall a student saying recently, I asked him. The definition he now has for the word word and he says that it is speech that is written down or something to that effect um mm -hmm. so i think through our sessions and for me personally i tell them that sounds can be spelt <laughs> and when i teach them sounds, mm -hmm. there are spellings the particular spellings that are associated with these sounds so i kind of intermingle the idea of the sound bit and the orthography as well mm -hmm. in, in my own way. I mm -hmm. hope that answered your question. Yes, yeah. Because for the linguist, uh, speech is primary or gestures for sign language will be primary. So we don't dabble too much into 
the written form. Mm. Uh, so that's why I asked you. But the definition you've provided is quite good. And where the student said uh, a word is speech that is written down, you can say it is speech that can be written down as well. So the spoken word is a word and the written word is also a word. Yeah. Okay. So both of us know, and I think, yes, in one particular episode, the first episode, I mentioned the IPA, um, but we both know about it with, with you more, you, you with more detail than I do. We understand that this particular alphabet, the International Phonetic Alphabet, is a more reliable representation of the sounds found in an, in all alphabetic languages. Can you tell my listeners about this alphabet and why it was developed at all? Okay. Uh, so the IPA stands for the International Phonetic Alphabet. And it is an alphabet that uses symbols that represent one and only one sound. So we're not going to have the case of, for example, a C sometimes representing the sound K and sometimes representing the sound S and sometimes representing the sound CH. It's going to represent one and only one sound. Uh, so we have letters or symbols that resemble the the Roman letters that we know, uh, but there are other uh, Greek letters that we use to represent uh, the other sounds uh, that we have to account for. Mm -hmm. So uh, why was this uh, even invented? Mm -hmm. uh, this is because a group of language teachers had concerns about the teaching of modern languages and they they found that there there was uh, some problem with the teaching of pronunciation and that for learners of particular languages they were not pronouncing the words uh, in a way that was near to how native speakers would pronounce them uh, so at the time there was the development of a phonetic script and so they were interested in uh, developing a unified one so that uh, the, the strategies that would be used for teaching modern languages, especially pronunciation in modern languages, would be more efficient. Uh, so it doesn't matter what language is being recorded, what language is being written down when we use the International Phonetic Alphabet. Uh, the sound and letter correspondences are always the same. Uh, so if you read something that is written, if you know the, the IPA mm -hmm. and you read something that is written using the IPA, then uh, your pronunciation should sound uh, close to a native speaker's. So it's it's more efficient than the conventional writing systems that we have now. Uh, because in some languages, a J represents that Y sound that is in the, that's the first sound in the word yellow and so on. But in English, it represents the sound J. Yeah. Uh, so we don't have, we don't have that kind of confusion. One letter represents the same sound, no matter uh, which language is being recorded. 
And that's good and super helpful. And it would make not only language learning easier, but reading itself, if that was the orthography used. Um, mm-hmm. We we know that phonology has its shortcomings um, when it comes to holistic reading instructions. Can you share some of these limitations, especially as it relates to how English represents its sounds? And I'm 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 speci- I uh, how do I say this? So for me, when I teach the sound. I teach it as being spelled S-H. But then when we get to the word sugar, mm-hmm. spelled S. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we get to the word special, it is spelled C-I. So mm-hmm. there are different ways that English spells sounds. And I know that from a phonological point of view, you don't interact with sounds that way. You interact with it using the IPA. But let's let's get down to where the others of us are, where the mm-hmm. sounds and their spellings don't match. And mm-hmm. I find that that's one of the one of the reasons people don't educators don't onboard the idea of using phonology because there are so many ways to spell a singular sound mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, those who are involved in the codification of languages that is those who uh, intend to standardize and come up with a specific uniform spelling for words in a language uh, don't do so to give us grief so maybe well, not maybe, but a word is spelt with the intention of giving a clear enough indication of how it is pronounced. Uh, but the good thing about language, which is problematic for writing, is that languages change over time and pronunciations of words will change over time. Uh, but the writing systems are very, very slow to change. So eventually what will happen is that the spelling system or the spelling of a word no longer represents how the word is now pronounced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we end up with words such as night, K-N-I-G-H-T, having silent letters. And once upon a time, uh, the silent letters were pronounced. So now we have to teach children that what they see is not what they're going to actually say. They have to remember that this is silent, that this letter is silent, that letter is silent, and so on. Um, we also have the case of words that are borrowed from other languages into English, and we will reconstruct uh, the spelling system uh, so that it reflects the etymology or the origin of the word. Mm-hmm. And the spelling system of the language from which we borrowed uh, the word may not match our letter sound correspondences. So we will see a word uh, and we will pronounce it. It will seem as if it's pronounced the way it should in English, but it's not because it is a word that is foreign to English. Uh, so all of these things represent challenges to readers. So mm-hmm. as you would know, these code, these words are not decodable. 
Mm-hmm. So the phonetic or phonological method will not aid children in reading. So you'll have to teach them how to identify the words. You have to teach those words as sight words. Mm-hmm. One of the things I do personally is I find that English has rules for rules that govern how sounds are organized within a particular word. So I find, for instance, that the S, it says, makes the Z sound when it is between vowels. Mm-hmm. The C will make the S sound when it precedes the vowels I, E, and Y. Mm-hmm. So there are rules that are used. Well, there are rules that have been given as an explanation for the chaos that is mm-hmm. <laughs> that is held within the spelling of these words. And I try to, to teach them the different spellings that a sound might have. Mm-hmm. So reading is fine because the sounds themselves can be spelled and those spellings can be learned. What I find difficult is for them, helping them to spell words. So I cannot, and I keep telling them, I would love to be able to tell you how to spell sugar. I would love to be able to tell you how to spell special, but I can't because you hear these sounds and you know so many different spellings for this one sound. All they mentally have to do is kind of make some changes. And it's it's a tedious process, but I find that it helps in some way, shape, or form. More so with reading than with spelling. Spelling, mm-hmm. I can't help them with that. <laughs> I you just, just have to tell them, this is how the word is spelled. And you just have to learn it. There is no strategy I can teach you. To remember how to spell it, other than just to memorize how to spell it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, for the phonological courses that you teach at UE, have you ever had pre-service teachers of literacy in them? And do you think all reading specialists should have a basic knowledge of phonology? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have had pre-service teachers in my classes, uh, and I think that they should have some knowledge of phonology for all the reasons I mentioned before. Um, I mentioned earlier that phonological awareness is a predictor of reading success, mm-hmm. uh, according to the the literature. So if that's the case, then it's important for those who are teaching children to read uh, to have a knowledge of the sound units of speech and how these are represented in writing. Mm-hmm. So uh, they will teach children how to identify the units. And this will enable the children to learn many of the new words on their own. Mm-hmm. So with this knowledge, with the teacher's knowledge of phonology, and the children's understanding or the children's uh, phonological awareness, then this will make the process of reading a more enjoyable one so for both teachers and, and students. Yes, and we need the teachers to enjoy it as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> 
Yes, we do. Um, while you spoke, a question came to mind. Um, mm-hmm. and it's in connection with this question that I'm about to ask you. Um, the question asks, do you think students should be taught the IPA and use the pronunciation guide in dictionaries to identify words? It's something I've been toying with, especially for a teenage student that I have. I think if I teach him how to, if I teach him the English symbols on the IPA and just introduce him to the idea that dictionaries have what teachers call pronunciation guides. I don't know if that's what the, what do you call the people? I don't remember. I don't know if that's what, if that's the actual name that's assigned outside of the classroom. But the Mm -hmm. pronunciation guide, it's encased within slashes within the dictionary and provided you know what each symbol represents by way of sounds, you should be able to pronounce the word just using um, the symbols of the IPA. Do you think that students should be taught that um, and use the pronunciation guide to help them to identify words that are new for them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the knowledge can never hurt. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it for, for children learning to read and learning to spell. Mm-hmm. But for a teenager who is proficient enough in reading, mm-hmm. uh, but also has to learn new words because he or she will encounter new words and will not necessarily have anyone to teach them to pronounce it. Uh, I think, yes, that would be quite helpful uh, because it it makes it easy for readers to identify how the words are pronounced, as you said, especially when the spelling doesn't clearly indicate it. Uh, so, of course, we have advances in technology. Everybody has a smartphone. They can always hop onto a website and hear how a word is pronounced. But mm-hmm. that's not always convenient. Yeah. Uh, so I think for those who have a good handle on the spelling system already, it will be quite beneficial to them to learn the IPA. And this is this is a skill that will uh, be useful throughout the rest of their lives so they don't uh, go into a space and pronounce a word incorrectly mm-hmm. uh, because they had no knowledge. Uh, of it through anyone in any sphere in which they they exist using it. Um, as a lecturer, I will hear students use certain words, they'll pronounce certain words, and I have to close my eyes and figure out uh, which word it is uh, because they would have only seen the words in writing, mm-hmm. uh, but they would never have heard the word being pronounced. Uh, so in in searching for the meaning of the word, you can also find the pronunciation. And that is something that uh, many dictionaries uh, use. They use the IPA system uh, to indicate the pronunciation of a word. Uh, so, yes, I would say for for those who are already proficient readers. 
the student I have in mind is not proficient, by the way, but he has mm-hmm. this habit of just, I don't know, he has this habit of saying words that are not on the page. And my worry for him is that in instances um, where I'm not with him, I want him to have the autonomy to figure out the word on his own. And if he has if he has doubts to have an alternative or uh, a, a plan B to ensuring that what he thinks is the case is actually the case because the mm-hmm. symbols would never steer him wrong. But I'm cautious um, with regards to teaching that to him. And I, I probably should. I probably shouldn't. <laughs> but I don't know. We'll see. Uzi, I have you, one point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just saying that you could attempt, and if it's causing frustration and confusion, then then you you just suspend that. Uh, but you sometimes will never know what works unless you try it. If it's a disaster, that's fine. You tried it, and now you have the knowledge. It will not work for certain students. Disaster. Wow. <laughs> well, maybe maybe I should use a, a, a different word. If it doesn't work, I would uh, then you abandon it. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for changing the <laughs> Okay, so like I said before, I have one last question for you. Um, how do you think the reading challenge among the nation's children can be remedied. I know you are not a reading specialist in any way, shape, or form, um, but you have experience. Um, you have experience that could probably inform the answer you provide. So, how mm-hmm. do you think the reading challenges among the nation's students can be remedied? Uh, well, my answer to that will fall into the realm of controversial for non-linguists. Uh, uh, but we have to recognize that we have a language situation in which most children in Jamaica speak one language, and that is Jamaican or Jamaican Creole, commonly known as Pato. And they speak this before they enter school. When they enter school, they are now being taught to read and taught to write in another language, which is English. And they are learning this language, but they don't, they don't speak it for the vast majority of them. They don't speak it. Uh, so if we say that writing is a representation of speech mm-hmm. and uh, when we read, we are reading what someone would have said. Many of them don't understand the concept of reading because it doesn't represent their situation. They are not reading in the language that they speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is this is quite confusing for them. And for many of them, the words on paper are not pronounced the way they pronounce them. People they know don't pronounce them uh, those words in that way. So when you tell a child that pot is spelled P-O-T, and what they say is pat, then there begins this understanding that their sounds and letters do not always correspond. So it's not a case of special instances 
of words that can't be decoded. It's almost as if every word can't be decoded or most words can't be decoded. So if if the teacher asks them to decode uh, what words in a book um, are, and the teacher is saying they should be able to do this, the system is not really working for them. So there's a lot of insecurity regarding reading for many children. And I know in, in Jamaica, there, there are Jamaican children who speak English as a first language, mm-hmm. but they are in the minority. So the question is, are we going to teach the majority based on what obtains for the minority and say that we're doing the, the nation's children justice? Um, that just doesn't make much sense. So linguists who study the language situation in Jamaica, I, I don't recall linguists who study this situation ever calling for any kind of abandonment of the teaching of English. Because English is the country's official language, so uh, we we should learn it. Mm-hmm. And the goal of schools is to teach children how to be literate in in English. Mm-hmm. But we're clearly failing. We're clearly failing a large number of children. So what we should do is use proven research to assist in solving the problem. And there there is research that has been published. Uh, that will tell you that once children learn uh, to read and write in their own language, it's easier for them to learn to read and write in another language, right? So first, teach children the concept of reading and writing, uh, representing the way they speak, representing their thoughts. And yes, there's a standardized system, standardized writing system for Jamaican. Uh, all we need now is for policies uh, to allow for its use in schools. Uh, but once they learn their writing system and they learn the English writing system, they can be better able to differentiate between the two. And you can say that they are fully bilingual. We'll have a much easier time uh, teaching literacy in English when children are also literate in Jamaican. So other countries do it. So it's possible to do it here as well. I never expected. I never expected that to be your response. Um, I know that for language learning, um, we have been taught to advocate for a bilingual approach to language instruction, where we pair um, Creole with um, English and mm-hmm. contrast the language to aid the students in learning what we are attempting to teach them in English. But I never once thought that a bilingual approach could be implemented in reading. I don't know why it never mm-hmm. it never crossed my mind. Because I sat here thinking, where is she going? Where is she going with this? And then <laughs> As you went there, I said, could we really go there? And you mentioned countries that have done this. I assume Haiti is one of them. Mm-hmm. Haiti is one of them. Mm. Wow. Uh, we, we can't disadvantage the majority of people in a country uh, just because uh, a group of people feel that this is the way that it should be done. 
and they are not operating from a place of uh, informed uh, research. They're not, none of what they're presenting is informed by research. Uh, so uh, that is my contention. If children are doing poorly in the language arts, they're not reading well, they're not, their reading comprehension is poor. Uh, it doesn't stem from whatever it is we've always said, or they don't want to learn. Mm. It's that the strategies that we use to teach them are not working. Yeah. So we need to go back to the research, or I shouldn't say go back to the research. We need to consult the research and then try to implement uh, whatever suggestions the research has uh, to offer. Yeah, and much of what you have said, I've experienced because I would have told you in the past that I struggle to get my students to say, oh, as opposed Mm -hmm. to, uh. So for them, the O and the U, they are the same sounds. And Mm -hmm. it's like for them, it's different. And I'm like, don't you hear that it's the (laughs) same sound? No. And it is a struggle to get them. To say um, pot or to to help them to distinguish between rob and rub, it's mm-hmm. for them. It's it's the same. It's spelled differently. It's, it's the same word. It, oh my goodness! It's you same. got robbed. <laughs> you got robbed. It's the same word. Same word as robbed. Mm. So but- what you have to do is acknowledge that. What they say is also what they're hearing. Mm. And you can't discount that. Yeah, You'll have to just say, in in Jamaican, we will say Rob, and we transfer that to English. And so when you're spelling robbed, you can't use the U to represent the vowel. You'll have to use the O. To represent that vowel, they, that's not a word that they can spell based on how they pronounce. Pronounce it. Okay. Okay, but since talking to you, I've been I've been a lot more understanding of the difference. Um, I struggled, and it was what it's it it. When I started comparing or listening to how my American students um, say the sound and I would compare it to how the Jamaicans say it, I realized that all my Jamaican students, they do the very same thing. Um, And it's since talking to you that I've realized that it's just Creole's influence. But I don't know if, I know for us, when we are taught language learning within a Creole speaking environment, we're taught to consider, I know we don't, um, but we're taught to consider the influence Creole has on how words are ordered. But I wonder, and I doubt you can say, I wonder if pre-service literacy teachers, experts, specialists, coach, I don't know what they call themselves, if they are taught to do similarly when it comes to reading. Um, 
I can't answer that question. <laughs> I know. I can't, I can't answer the question for uh, pre-trained individuals or uh, people who are good at teaching, mm-hmm. reading, um, if I don't know what their training is like. So I can't, I can't comment no, on that. Can't. Yeah. No, but I'm going to try and get someone who can comment on because I th- these questions need to be answered for my sake as well as for my listeners' sake, you know. But I need to, <laughs> I mm-hmm. need to know. Um, but yeah, I have no more questions. <laughs> um, I've I've asked you every single one plus a bonus question I never had in mind to ask, and so, um, listeners. That's the episode for today. <laughs> I want to express heartfelt gratitude to Mrs. Miller for sharing her expertise and insights on phonology, phonetics, and their role in literacy. I also am thankful that you injected the last bit. Controversial as it might appear, I think it was a worthy injection. And so I thank you for all that you shared today. And Antonisha, thank you so much for inviting me and giving me this platform to share my knowledge with your listeners. Okay. Okay, understanding the nuances of language and how it influences our ability to read and communicate is truly invaluable. And I hope this episode has helped you to agree with this statement. Moreover, I hope it has shed light on the importance of phonology in the context of reading, as well as its distinction from other reading strategies. Remember, literacy is not just a skill. It's a gateway to knowledge and empowerment, something you would have heard Mrs. Ricketts say in episode two. In the quest to address reading challenges among students, I cannot but encourage educators, parents, and students themselves to consider the role of phonology and phonics in strengthening reading abilities because it is through equipping ourselves with the right tools and knowledge that we pave the way towards improved literacy outcomes. Okay, thank you for listening today. Until next time, keep reading, keep learning, and keep striving for a brighter future through literacy. Bye for now.